Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, as the coronavirus pandemic drags on even past a possible peak later this month, some doctors say we might need to still keep social distancing. We are going to have people that we lose that are loved ones if we don't. I doubt there will be anybody who doesn't have a loved one who is impacted by COVID. Dr. Chirag Patel, medical director for population health at Wellstar Health System, joins me to discuss what else could help prevent future spikes in COVID-19 cases and how the virus is taking a greater toll on certain communities. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. What happens after coronavirus infections and deaths reach a peak? Many doctors and health officials say we still won't be out of the woods. We could face another peak in activity, maybe even multiple peaks. But there are some steps we could take to perhaps make future peaks more bearable, says Dr. Chirag Patel. He's medical director for population health at Wellstar Health System, and he joins me now for more. Dr. Patel, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. We're still learning a lot about what patients with COVID-19 actually look like, what their experience is. So walk me through what you have been hearing from your Wellstar doctors about the symptoms that patients show up with and, and maybe how, how best y'all have found to, to treat them. I think what's important to know is patients look like you and I. They can be of middle age. They can be of elder age. We're seeing less of the younger children. But that's not to say we don't see any. We are seeing some. Also, what's uh, important to know is the signs and symptoms of these patients, there's a huge uh, spectrum of disease. There's cough congestion. There's nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. There's taste changes. There's smell changes. There, There can be a whole spectrum, but there's also a huge spectrum in how severe the disease is. For many, it can be as a mild flu, uh, or it could be just a passing gastroenteritis, just a mild nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and they feel better. But for some, it can be a very critical illness. It, It can be a respiratory failure where you need to be placed on a breathing machine like a ventilator, or it can even lead into kidney failure and shock. Thinking about some of those more adverse outcomes, I mean, 
I, I would imagine that within the Wellstar system, y'all have had patients who have who have died from this. What what have your your providers been learning about? You know how to help patients from maybe these patients who don't fare well. I think a couple of things are really important. Uh, early identification in the community, uh, patients who are starting to feel ill, we need to identify them earlier, grant them wraparound services and social support since there's not any targeted medical treatment uh, for these patients, but early identification and support I think is really important. Number two, if you do come to the hospital and are hospitalized, making sure that we're giving the right level of support in the hospital I think is also very important. And then we are seeing more and more patients go on advanced types of uh, dialysis called uh, continuous renal replacement therapy. You know, the outcomes are variable, but we are trying the highest level of care that is possible right now to help uh, these patients overcome the burden of illness. Talk to me a little bit now about what y'all are looking at capacity-wise. I want to talk a little bit more about, about patients in, in a moment, but we, we have seen many projections that say pretty much in, in every state across the country, hospitals are going to have their, their ICU bed and their normal bed capacity met and then exceeded. Where are you on that path right now? We, like many organizations, are using a variety of models, uh, external and internal, to determine where we're going to have some surges, where we're going to have some need for additional beds. Uh, Today, at the moment, we have plenty of beds that we're going to be able to manage for. Uh, I think our hope is we flatten the curve and push some of these sicker patients out into the future. But we'll have to see. You know, these social distancing interventions are critical for us to really mitigate some of the surge. I think we're starting to see some of that right now in Georgia, but we'll have to see as time plays out. I think as of today, we have enough capacity to manage uh, what we think will come. But, you know, it really is a partnership between having capacity along with the community and local authorities utilizing these social distancing interventions to mitigate some of the need. My sense is that we have a shortage of healthcare workers here in the state of Georgia, and that this has only maybe shed a little bit more of, of a light on that. We, we've seen stories about nurses being lured to hot spots like New York. Are y'all going into this fully staffed? And what does that kind of staffing picture mean for how you're able to respond? So I'd like to rephrase maybe the shortage piece to a maldistribution uh, of uh, healthcare workers in Georgia, because if you were to say there's a shortage in the city of Atlanta, somebody might push back, right? But if you were to say, hey, in Valdosta, there's a shortage, well, that might be accurate. And so I think we have a maldistribution of healthcare workers and physicians, nurses in the state of Georgia. And so that does create a problem. Uh, there are people being lured away to, you know, New York, California, Massachusetts, because that is an epicenter. That is where the need is. We are fully staffed. I think, like other organizations, our organization has a very strong partnership with the community physicians at large, and, you know, we lean on them uh, to help in this type of need, and many, many of them have stepped up to assist in the hospital and bring their subject matter expertise from the ambulatory setting back to the hospital, and I think that partnership is critical in this time. So I, I feel pretty good about where we are from a staffing standpoint, but no one really knows what's going to come in the days coming. One thing that 
has gotten some attention recently is the way that this disease is impacting some populations more than others. We've seen some early indications that African-Americans see more adverse outcomes than other groups. Does that track with with what y'all are seeing at Wellstar? And why, why do you think that is? It does track with what we're seeing at Wellstar. I think it's it's a very complex issue. I think more and more data will come out. But if you really look at the areas where social distancing is hard, where people are living in densely populated areas or multi-generational housing, you can see why infection would spread through that community because of those things. So in an urban area, maybe inner city of Fulton County, you could see an increase in cases, predominantly African-American. You combine that with the already existing healthcare disparities that exist in African-Americans, that adds to the ultimate outcome of the disease. And so you have maybe an area of Atlanta where they have multi-generational housing, high-density population, increased infection, and healthcare disparity without having the appropriate access to healthcare. And so you can see why there would be a disparity in outcome between African-Americans and maybe another ethnicity. And this is not playing out only in Atlanta, right? This is playing out in New York City, San Francisco, in Detroit. It is putting a light on an already existing problem. And it's quite tragic, actually. I know it's probably hard to make a prediction right now, but how do you foresee um, this playing out over the next three to four months? I am encouraged slightly by some of the movement but I think it's going to take some real patience and diligence on the part of our healthcare leadership across the country. I think it's going to take some patience and diligence by our local political authorities. And I think it's going to take some real patience by, you know, our community uh, around social distancing and keeping schools closed till the appropriate time. And this is a team sport fighting COVID. I don't think it's hey, the healthcare workers will do do their job and we'll get a vaccine and it'll be over. I really believe that we're going to need partnership between government, healthcare, and community to really fight this down. And then I also think that part of this is preparing for another wave. You know, I think coronavirus will come back ultimately, and we have to be ready for that wave. And so how we handle this wave, how we prepare uh, to take care of our elderly and at-risk population for the next wave will be critical to see how we come out of this. What does preparation for that second wave look like? So a couple of things. We need definitely need more broad-based testing. Uh, we need to understand who has been uh, infected and who has recovered. I think that's really important from a population health standpoint. Second, I think, is vaccine development. We definitely need a vaccine that's broadly available. It can come out as soon as it's made, I think that'll be critical. And then last thing is uh, this convalescent serum acquisition, right? If you have been uh, infected and you have developed antibodies, the American Red Cross is already taking volunteers for serum. And that serum is useful in treating uh, patients. And the, the data is limited, but it's evolving. And so he, here we have it, right? You have government, we need to help get the vaccine and the testing. Healthcare workers, we need the government and the healthcare workers to really push the science to get the vaccine done, right, and get different modalities of testing. 
But then here's the community part. If you've been infected, you have recovered, go to the Red Cross. Donate some serum because you could help save another life, right? So I think an ongoing partnership and having transparency around that partnership is critical for us to make a difference. People are social distancing now, but they've only been doing this for a month. Um, It's even taken our political leaders a bit of time to say this is something you should be doing and then requiring people to do that. Do you worry that that over time people are just going to get kind of antsy and that maybe there's not going to be as much willingness to say not go to work, not go out to stores, just by individuals? Philosophically, what I would say is there have been varying degrees of adoption of social distancing across the country, right, and in, including the time in which it was implemented, some states earlier than others. And what I would say is this. When you look around, when this is over, I doubt there will be anybody who doesn't have a loved one who is impacted by COVID. And so if you really believe that that's important, then you would try to adhere to these social distancing uh, guidelines because we are going to have people that we lose that are loved ones if we don't. I'm wondering, too, about the the will that our political and elected officials might have to maybe make unpopular decisions when it comes to people wanting to go back out into the world. Are you confident that we have people in place who can kind of make those hard choices that people might not agree with but are ultimately good for all of us? I'll say this. I can't really comment on what political leaders do or don't do, but I can tell you from a healthcare worker standpoint, ultimately we're scientists, and data and science should be the guideposts of all the decisions we make especially in this pandemic time. Uh, And so I would hope that our political leaders and our governmental authority would follow the science and the medical literature in the decisions they make. I think human life is of paramount value. Dr. Chirag Patel is medical director for population health at Wellstar Health System. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also rate us and leave us a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If y'all haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.